Beloved, let's turn in our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke. Today we're in chapter 22. I'm going to be reading from verse reading from verse 1 down to verse 13. Let me read it to you. Now the feast of the unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for someone or some way to get rid of Jesus for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas called Iscariot, one of the twelve and Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted, and they agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them, where no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare it? they asked. And he replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you to a large upper room, all furnished, make preparations there. And they left and found all things just as Jesus had told them, and so they prepared the Passover. Amen. We're now entering that, that passion time, the, 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 the last few days of Jesus' life. And this would be on the Thursday. Jesus is sacrificed or crucified on the Friday. We're told here in the text that the Feast of the Unleavened Bread called the Passover, that's a bit of a misnomer. Uh, the Passover is a different thing than the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Passover was celebrated before, the day before the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread goes on for seven days. When we use the word feast, celebration is probably a better translation to that for you and I. Uh, they celebrate uh, it's a great religious holiday. But before they are able to enjoy the, the celebration of the, the, uh, um, the, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread again, let's call that because they, they eat together without having yeast in their bread, a, a, a sourdough kind of bread. Like if you want to think pita breads, you know, that kind of like a naan bread, a hard bread. And uh, during that feast, they eat a like a salsa, I guess you and I would call it, a dip made from bitter herbs, either in uh, drenched in very sour vinegar or in a, a brine, a salt water solution. And it was to remind them of the the Exodus when they were when they fled from Egypt when God delivered them. It was to be a celebration that God had formed. Israel. 
This was when Israel got together and remembered that God had caused them to come together to be a nation. For the majority of religious Jews, this was the beginning of their year. And they began their year with a consecration, a rededication of themselves to being Israel. Their sins were forgiven through the sacrifice of the Lamb. And then they entered into the rejoicing that God had called them and restored their nation. At this time, in Jerusalem, there's estimated to be around about 3 million people. The, the city swells. There won't be a, a, an available place or hostel or room. The streets are full and crowded with pilgrims. It is probably the biggest religious festival of their year and as a consequence the temple is full the temple is where all the 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 religious merchandising goes on it was at the temple that you bought your approved silver approved lamb your certified holy lamb it was at the temple that you exchanged your money for approved temple tokens the only approved money that the temple would take. You couldn't use Roman money. You couldn't use any cultural coins, anything that had the face of an emperor or, or any deity <clears throat> couldn't be used. You had to change those to the approved temple tokens. And so for the chief priests and the teachers of the law, this was a, a big occasion. This, and we know that these men were not true really religious people. They used their control and power over the temple to make themselves rich. It was a money-making scheme. I've called them before. They were a, a, an organized crime syndicate. Jesus has already cleansed the temple. And he has already got rid of the dishonest, the thievery, the dishonest money changing that was going on. He's cleansed, he's cast out, chased out everybody from the, 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 the court of the Gentiles and is being used now for the pure and real worship of God. Christ is teaching in the temple and the chief priests and the teachers of the law are losing money hand over fist. Their, their, their great opportunity to make wealth is slipping away but they now in preparation for the festival are plotting they gather together they see that this is probably their last chance to get rid of them before the festival comes before they lose all of their opportunity to make money And the Bible tells us that they are they're plotting. The chief priests, of course, we've talked about that before. It would have been the, the CEOs, the, the top guys, the teachers of the law, or the in, my, in one of my other Bibles it says, and the temple guards. It was it would have been the 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 um, brotherhood of the Levites, perhaps you would call it that there, the guild of the Levites. 
the religious caste. These were the men who would be actively sacrificing the the lambs during the the, the the sacrificial time. These are the men. These are big burly. When we think of priests, we think of effeminate men in dressed in black with white collars. I always remember when way back in the day when we uh, didn't know any better and we had one of our boys uh, dipped or, or splashed, baptized in, in the Lutheran church. And I remember going up to shake the, the, the priest's hand and I shook his hand and as I took his hand, he went, oh, and his hand was so weak and girly and soft. And I was like, this man's never done a work, day's work in his life. Oh my goodness. We have this image um, because of the priests around us of, of book learnt men. But the, the Levites and the priests, they were not. They had to be able to pick up an animal carcass, a, a 25, 30 kilo animal carcass with one hand and be able to throw it up into the brazier of the altar. They were These were big burly guys. They weren't soft and effeminate. These temple guards and these chief priests are gathering together to conspire against Jesus. Now, if we look at the other accounts of what was going on there from the other Gospels, it gives us a little insight behind the scenes. Luke's record of it is very short. But if we were to go to Mark, let's go to Mark. Mark begins... Mark 14, Mark begins almost six days before, or sorry, the, uh, that was John, sorry. Let me read it to you. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way, some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, he said, or the people, or they said, or the people may riot. While he, that is Jesus, was in Bethany, a little town, a little, basically you call it a suburb, a little village outside Jerusalem, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came in with an alabaster jar of a very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume on his head. And some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why is this waste happening? Why waste this perfume? It could be sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have always with you and you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth, whatever, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. And they were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money so that he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. And then again, the same story in Matthew 26. 
Let me read from Matthew 26 to you. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name is Caiaphas, and they plotted to arrest Jesus in some sly way and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or there may be a riot among the people. While Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of a man named Simon the leper, a woman came with a very expensive alabaster jar of perfume. And she poured it on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This, this perfume could be sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will have always with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memorial of her. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went out to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? And so they counted out 30 coins, or silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. We see that there was this incident that happened. You kind of now understand a little bit more of the motivation of Judas. The people, the, the chief priests and the religious authorities are looking for an opportunity, uh, somehow, in some way to get rid of Jesus, yet not publicly because they were afraid of the people, because they knew that the people counted Jesus as a prophet and that they would riot. Therefore, they were trying to find some secret way of getting rid of him. They had no opportunity. And yet, all of a sudden, this opportunity arises in the providence of God. Judas goes to the the chief priests. The Bible indeed says here that Satan entered him. That he was motivated by a demonic, evil, wicked force. But that didn't just happen overnight. It didn't just, he didn't just kind of wake up one morning and think, I'm going to betray Jesus. There was a growth, or should we say a downward spiral, a growing cold, a distancing from Jesus. Betrayal didn't happen overnight. It was an ongoing process. In Bethany, when they were having that meal, we're told that story not just to, to memorialize the woman, but also to give us insight into the heart of that disciple. We're told in another place that it was Judas Iscariot who objected to the wasting of the money. Why? Because he was the treasurer. He was the one who controlled the purse, the collective funds of Jesus and his disciples, of their movement. He was their accountant, as you want to say. 
And yet the Bible tells us in another place that he was a thief, that he would regularly take from that purse for himself, that he would embezzle from the funds. And when Jesus is at the meal in Bethany and this woman breaks the the perfume alabaster thing, we all understand that that was very expensive. The expression of greed, Judas looks upon what's happening and we see two things, two expressions. They're very revealing about his heart. First, he covets, desires the perfume. He just sees it as a, an object of wealth. But then also we see something more sinister and perhaps a little bit more suggestive. His attitude towards Jesus. It's as if he has an attitude of Jesus is not worth it. Why is this perfume being wasted upon Jesus? He's not worth it. Rather, he desires to sell the perfume and make a profit from it. He may have given the money to the poor, but I'm sure he would have sold the perfume at a profit and kept the profit. There is a demonstration of a heart that has grown cold and estranged from Jesus. You and I, I hope you and I, when we look at Judas, we think, how could Judas have done what Judas did? How could he have been with Jesus for three and a half years, been amongst the, the, the twelve, the named apostles, those whom Jesus established to be the, the leaders of his movement? How could he who have gone out, had gone out and saw the miracles, saw the signs and the wonders, had been with Jesus? And yet, when it came down to the last, betrayed him and did so deliberately. Judas didn't accidentally slip. It wasn't the kind of, he was meaning well. Judas wasn't kind of trying to help Jesus in any way. He was actively betraying him. How could that happen? I hope you, like I, look at him and go, how could he have done that? But let us understand that it was not an immediate thing. It was a a growing cold. Judas was backsliding. Indeed, revealing that he was not a true and real disciple, that his heart was estranged, separated from Christ. He had never truly believed in him. The Bible, Jesus says later on that, that Judas was a devil from the beginning. Not necessarily a demon, but one of corrupt motivations, a heart separated from God. We see from the account in Matthew and in Mark that Judas's heart had grown cold, and he was more concerned about worldly things and about his own self-interest. He had begun to despise Jesus. And count him unworthy 
And all he desired was to get something from him for himself and perhaps to punish Jesus. I think there was a little bit of, of wanting Jesus to be punished because the unrealistic expectations that Judas had had were not being fulfilled. Judas wanted the, the, the earthly kingdom with all of its gold and glory. And Jesus was talking about a spiritual kingdom. Jesus was talking about suffering and service and slavery. And for Judas, that just wasn't, that wasn't his thing. And therefore, there was a cooling down of his heart. A moving away from Jesus. Like, obviously, everyone knew that the chief priests and the, the, the Jews, the religious leaders of the land, were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus. And Judas Iscariot saw this as his opportunity to make something, to get something back. It was perhaps his pension plan. Beloved, betrayal doesn't begin overnight. It takes a long time to grow. But it always ends in this. Satan entered Judas. There came a point when Judas's heart was so cold and so far from Christ that he didn't give his heart to Jesus but rather he chose to give it to Satan. He chose the God of this world over the God of eternity. And that should frighten all of us. Why? Because again, Judas had the outward appearance of being an apostle. Of being a believer. If you had lined them up in a, in a, here at the front and asked and I asked you, which one of these apostles is a devil? You, you probably wouldn't have been able to spot him. I am sure that there were always indications. There were always little tells. The, the, the situation that happened in Bethany was one of those little tells. One of those little windows into the heart, into the soul, into the life of the man. It was an indication that there was something wrong. But he probably would have talked the same talk. He probably would have believed the same things. But there had been a cooling down. I think the, the, the situation, the, the, the little happening in Bethany was the last straw for, for, for Judas. It was the last drop... That, that disappointment of not being able to exploit, of not being able to use his position to make himself worthy, for his needs not to be met, that there was such a, a feeling of indignation, such a feeling of, of betrayal somehow, or of let down. 
that a pessimistic spirit had taken control of Judas. That when Satan came a calling to look for a collaborator, he found a willing subject, a willing servant in Judas. Judas was willing and ready and able just to go along. The Bible tells us that Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray them. And we seen from the other, we saw from the other gospels that Judas went with the suggestion: if if you pay me, if you give me money, I will give you Jesus. And the idea here is that they agreed to that. I'm sure they couldn't couldn't believe their luck, couldn't believe their fortune. That in some way, some, one of Jesus' disciples was willing to betray him. Also shows that Judas didn't know. Jesus hadn't told him where he would be. Jesus understood and knew what was going to happen. The Bible says here in verse 5 that they were delighted and agreed to give him the money. Think about that, that the religious leaders of the land were willing and able and quick to accept this offer of betrayal. I mean, later on we see in the response, their, their response, they understood it to be blood money and in their hypocrisy they refused. But Judas comes after the crucifixion and tries to give back the money and repent they refuse to take the money back because they say it's tainted, it's blood money, it's corrupted. But the thing is, they gave the money in the first place. The corruption didn't come from the money. The corruption came from the religious and political authorities that sought to destroy Jesus. You know, the Bible says that we as Christians do not struggle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers in the spiritual places that we don't commit warfare by carnal means, that our weapons are not carnal weapons. We don't fight war in the way that the nations and the people around us fight war. But the devil, he uses carnal means. Though, beloved, we understand that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Though it, 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 flesh and blood wrestle against us. Yes, Satan was the motivating factor here. Yes, Satan was influencing the chief priests and the, 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 the Levites, the temple guards, the authorities. Yes, Satan entered into Judas. But the expression of those things were from human beings, fallen human beings. We must always remember that the devil works through people, through authorities and powers. He tries his utmost to trip up, to, to take down, to destroy to trample upon God's people, not by 
phantom and ghosts, not by the little voices in your head, but by actual and real people. He motivates forces against us. Yes, we do not fight against flesh and blood. We don't behave the way they do. But we have to understand that the attacks do come through physical manifestation, through people. I think at some point we need to go through a a Bible study on, on what demonic attack looks like. All too often we put, we just look at people and say, well, that's how people are. But we need to remember and be reminded that demonic attack comes through human beings and through their actions and intent against us. I mean, one might call them a a conspiracy theorist here. You know, that, that Jesus was telling everyone that, and saying to these people that you're conspiring to kill me, and that they were saying you're paranoid. Who's who's going to kill you? But we see here that they were conspiring against Jesus. There was an actual conspiracy against him. He was not wrong, beloved. We need to be reminded that the enemy attacks us through his methods and means, the human beings and authorities around us. They're always attacking Christ. They're always seeking to bring him down. We also need to remember that as Judas was, we can still have a Judas today. Indeed, we could be a Judas. If you're not guarding your heart, and watching over your emotions, if you're not keeping Christ as the center of your, your faith, if Christ is coming further and further and further away from you and you're disappointed in him. Your felt needs are not being met. It's all too easy to play the Judas. It's all too easy to give up and seek human methods and human means to achieving the ends that you want. It's all too easy to betray Jesus. Beloved, we need to be on guard. That is, as Judas was, we do not become. We still have the opportunity. We still have the method and the means. Judas became offended in his heart. Whatever happened to Bethany offended him. And that sent a series of unfortunate events in place that ended in the crucifixion of Jesus. Now, in the providence of God, we know that that was the plan of God from the beginning. But yet, Judas is still responsible for his actions. Judas became offended, which then began a series of unfortunate events that led to the crucifixion. Let us not become offended. Let us not allow there to be something that that drives us or drives a wedge between us and Christ. Don't look around us. I mean, we know that one of the chief sins in the 
among Christians is judgment. Jesus warns about it. Don't try and pull the speck of dust out of your, your neighbor's eye when you have a plank in your own eye. That we must guard our own hearts and take heed to our own walk with Jesus, to our own love, our own discipleship. Don't try and live the discipleship of somebody else, but rather guard your own heart. Walk your own walk. Are you growing closer to Jesus? Or are you getting further away from him? Is your passion and your enthusiasm for him growing? Or is it diminishing? Is your sense of duty and your commitment to him based upon what you know you have to do, or is it based upon what you want to do? Sarah, my lovely wife, always asks me, Kyle, um, do you want to do this? Kyle, do you want to go make dinner? And I'm like, no. That's the wrong question to ask me. If you ask me, do I want to do it? No. And says, well, well, will you go and do it? Yes. But if you ask me, do I want to go and wash the dishes, make dinner, tidy the house? No. Will you go and do it? Yes. Why? Because it's my responsibility and I will do it. Ask the right question, get the right answer. I know I'm an Irishman. Following Jesus is not necessarily what you want to do. It's what you are called to do. It is your duty. All men everywhere to repent and follow him. As disciples, we lay down our lives. We follow him. And let me ask again, is your commitment growing or lessening? The danger is if it is lessening, you might be on that journey to becoming a Judas. Slow rot, slow rot, sudden break. Something happens and your heart just, and bitterness envelops you, hatred envelops you, disdain envelops you, and then all of a sudden you're behaving not in a Christian way, but in an anti-Christian way, in a demonic way. You're saying things that you shouldn't say. You're doing things that you shouldn't do. You're going to places you shouldn't be going. You're betraying the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you just not to do those things. What I'm saying is that, beloved, feed your affection for Jesus. If you have grown cold in your affections, repent and feed them. Read the scriptures, read the Old Testament, read what he's done for you. Look at the depths of your sin and the consequences of it. And then remember the reward that has been given to you through the grace of God, through the sacrifice of Christ. In verse 6, it tells us that Judas consented. He agreed upon the, the money. And he watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them when there was no crowd present. Now, can you see the forethought that he was actively conspiring 
he, it was planned and he was waiting and he was pretending to be Jesus' friend, but he was just waiting for a right moment to strike. When Jesus would put his foot wrong, when Jesus would, would be separated from everybody else, far too many of us, far too many Christians, and I mean that in a little c question mark, we're just waiting for others to slip up before we drop them into difficulty. We, we rejoice over someone falling into difficulties. And again, I mean that by small c question mark Christians. Beloved, we are all capable of playing the Judas. We are all capable of growing cold in our walk. We're all capable of becoming disenchanted and discouraged when we look around at the acts of others that we don't agree with. Remember that one woman's act of worship, one woman's act of, of devotion to Jesus caused Judas to become incensed with anger, to become infuriated, to become indignant, to be offended in his heart. Don't allow other people's worship to cause your heart to stumble. And if your heart does stumble at the worship of others, at the commitment, at the, the clinging to Christ, putting Christ first, then you need to ask yourself, where is your heart? Are you truly loving the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you truly believing? Are you truly walking with Him? Or do you have a fake faith? A counterfeit relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ? Something that's almost but just not authentic. It is my fear that in our generation we have counterfeit Christianity on mass scale. Far too many people who believe in a Christ but not necessarily the Christ. They come with a desire to have their felt needs met. They come for a, a desire to be upheld and acknowledged and to get all that they can get. But when it comes down to the, their own personal devotion and worship, they fall dreadfully short. And they get offended when they see true and real worship. And they despise Jesus. Beloved, let us not fall into the category of being counted among those who despise Jesus. Judas's behavior outlines for us the behavior of an apostate, someone who professes faith in Jesus but yet falls away. When it comes down to having to follow him to the end, they give up and they depart and they go back. That apostasy didn't happen overnight. It was a gradual and growing experience. They, again, departed. They grew distant they began to despise Jesus and his followers. 
A man who professed faith in Christ. A man who acknowledged Jesus to be the Messiah. And yet there was a growing cold. And not just cold, but embittered. Beloved, all too often we can lean that way. Guard our hearts. Guard our minds. But the good news is that even though these things happened, even though there was this conspiracy in the background, we know that although they meant these things for wicked and evil purposes, that God intended them for good. Do you remember the, the story of Joseph and his brothers? Do you remember after when their father died and they were in Egypt and and the brothers are now panicking because their father has died and they're at the mercy of Joseph and they're worried that Joseph is going to take revenge upon them. And yet when they gather, Joseph says, don't worry. Even though you meant these things for wicked and evil purposes, God intended them for the good of his people. So it is with the crucifixion. Beloved, Jesus warned Judas even up until the last. He called him to repentance. He warned him of the danger. Let us not give in. Let us not grow cold. Let us not be ignorant of the dangers. Let's not think, well, it couldn't happen to me. It couldn't happen to me. <sighs> Beloved, guard your heart. Seek him while he may be found. Look to Jesus. Believe in him. Love him. Follow him. Keep your heart soft and tender. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd help us. Lord, in this time of counterfeit Christianity, when there are so many authentic-looking believers, but yet, Lord, they just fall short. They're, they're, they do not continue until the end. Lord, they desire their, their felt needs. They desire, Lord, their glory. They get offended with the, at the worship of others. Help us, Lord, not to become like Judah, Judas and become offended. Help us, Lord, not to be so distracted by the worship of others. Help us, Lord, not to the, begin the long, slow slide in the apostasy. Lord, help us not to backslide. But we are grateful that Lord, even though all of this conspiracy was happening, even though, Lord, these men, these powerful forces were gathering together for your doom, Lord, you were still sovereign. You still, Lord, were functioning and, and following the pattern laid down in Scripture by God the Father. We are grateful, Lord, that Lord, none of this happened and that you were the victim. Lord, but you, as a sheep before its butchers were was silent, Lord, so you too offered up yourself as a sacrifice for us. Lord, we are truly grateful. 
Again, Lord, help us. Help us to have insight into our own lives. Help us, Lord, not to look at our neighbor to the left or to the right. Help us to guard our own hearts, Lord, from the danger of being a Judas. Lord, I pray this for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' precious name, amen.